Well, good morning. How are you all doing today? I am Trevor Oaks. I'm a student and teaching pastor here, and I hope you had a great week. Uh, I think it's been beautiful out. It snowed this week. Yeah. Uh, so here's the deal. I don't know if, if, if you guys know how this process happens, how, how the process of getting to this stage where uh, a pastor says something to an audience. But for me, it works like this. I, I get a topic or a Bible verse, and I spend about four hours worth of time in, in study on that topic or that verse. And then I take about four hours worth of time to write some content. So I'm going back and forth between looking at the, the scripture and, and writing what I feel like might be good to say. And then I uh, fine-tune that. So I rehearse it, I go over it, I clean it up until I finally feel good enough with something to bring before you that you guys might actually want to listen to. And so I did all that last week. Last week I wrote a whole sermon, whole sermon for today, right here, what I would hope to communicate to you. And then Daniel got up here and Daniel spoke. And then I read something in my Bible, and I was like, man, I think I want to go a different direction. And so then I, I got that sermon out. I hop into the middle of that sermon, and I start to write some stuff down. And then I had to go through and start to read through, and I was like, man, this makes no sense. And so I don't know where this is going to go this morning. We'll, we'll just have to see, which isn't true at all because I manuscript all my sermons, and so I have actually every word. If I die or pass out, fall over, one of you can just get up and come up here, and you can just read this, and you'll be good. Same thing, all right? But here, here's, if nothing else, my next sermon gets to be about sex. So, I mean, there's that, right? I mean, at least there's something, that, and you're all thinking, what in the world? I know. So November, our whole month of November, we're doing this sermon series called Neon, like a glowing light in the dark, right? It's going to be hot topics, bold answers, and so there we go, right? So I want to kick off this morning with a question for you. What is one thing that you would change about yourself if given the opportunity? What's one thing that you would change about yourself if given the opportunity, and several of you, like, like in a, a snap of the finger, know like exactly what that would be for you. And here's the deal. I think to some extent, we, we have looked at the image in the mirror. And no matter how confident or how comfortable we are in characteristics of our, our life, our body, uh, if there is one thing that we feel unsure of, we magnify that one thing, and in the reflection we see, you know, the saggy eyes, double chin, overweight, whatever it is. Or maybe you want your arms to be longer or shorter, or you want to be shorter. I didn't even know that existed, but some people actually want to be shorter. So uh, there's that, and, and we see the negative in ourselves. And if anyone ever points out our flaws or, or they stab a haymaker at our uh, one thing that we're so critical about in ourselves, man, that can send us down a track of anxiety and overthinking. We think now everybody is honed in on this one thing. And I'm glad I get to talk about our body image this morning. Because I think with America's growing concern over our body, it has both uh, followers of Christ and culture seeking much of the same thing. How can I live a healthy life. And today I would ask better questions is my hope. I think we need to ask better questions like what's the image of body that God desired that we have? How did he design us? How do we see our bodies through his eyes and what does it mean to be whole? I read a book one time. I know, I know one book, one time. It was amazing. It was great. 
It's called Where is God When It Hurts? It's by Philip Yancey, and it really was amazing. The book was really more about the pain that we experience in this body and how that really benefits us. It is beneficial for us to experience pain. But in the book, he gives so many facts about the, the body, and, and the body has always blown my mind that that I'm, you know, blood is doing its thing, that my brain is having thoughts connecting to my mouth, that I'm communicating what I'm communicating. It just, our bodies are amazing to me. And so here's a snippet from that book. It says, consider a single organ from the human body, the skin, a flexible yet tough organ that stretches over the body's frame as an advance guard against the dangers of the outside world. Millions of pain sensors dot the surface of the skin, scattered not randomly, but in precise accord with the body's specific needs. The active nature of our skin makes me stand in awe at our creator designer, at our God. And here's, here's what I think. All this couldn't just happen. It's not just a random bunch of chance that, well, we kind of stumbled into these amazing things that function just as God designed with the purpose he intended. And I'll be honest, I typed a whole sermon, right? I wanted to go after the image that God gives us in his word of who we are. And all through the Bible, I see like there are warriors that God like, sends his warriors out, that there's a, a pictures of an athlete and being disciplined, that there's farmers and shepherds and, and Christ in his image. But that's not the direction we're going. So don't look forward to that. And here's why. I think we have taken fitness, health, and well-being to new heights. And I don't think we need one more image for us to look at and say, yeah, I could never be that. I can never be whatever that is. And so I, I went a different track. And here's what I, I want to answer is God created us to worship him. God created us to worship him. And yet we fill our lives with so many other things that we try to worship. And God's hope was that we would worship him with our whole body. So let's begin in the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and the small creatures that scurry along the ground, which I stomp on, because God gave me dominion over them, and so it's my, it's my choice. And uh, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God scoops up the dust, and he changes the compound structure of that, and he breathes his essence into us. He breathes life into these bodies, and he gives us purpose, in Genesis 2.15, it says, Then the Lord God placed Adam in the Garden of Eden to tend to it and to watch over it. I think that's a key verse. I think this is really important. Clearly, God notices that a bored man is a dangerous man. I would say this, a bored person is a dangerous person. So he places Adam in the garden to work it, to care for it, to provide and protect for all that God created. And since the creation, God pouring into us a reflection of himself, his desire is to have purpose in all that he created and to have intimacy with his creation. That you and I would long to be with him. That we would long to worship him with our whole self. And ever since the beginning, from the very first creation, we have been struggling with our flesh. Not our skin, but our flesh, our desires. And God created us to long for him. So here's the thing. God 
has desires for us. God longs to be with us. And so he put that in us. We are a reflection of him. We have desire for him, but we also desire other things, right? Andy Stanley says this, and I I fully agree. He says, direction, not intention, equals destination. Direction, not your intentions, equals destination. And we look at culture in this world, and we see the direction that it's going, and here's what we think. My intention is to follow Jesus. That's my hope. I want to follow him. But then somebody says, well, this is what beauty is. I kind of want to go that direction. I want to be beautiful. Or or maybe you, you hear him say or her say, you know, this is who I hoped you would be. I'm like, well, I kind of want to please them. And and so I want to go that direction. And, And what we find is that though we intended to follow Jesus, our direction shifts and our direction, not our intentions, lands us where we are. And we are a reflection of God, but we can't understand that. I can't. I can't fathom how God is all-knowing, all-powerful, in, all, through, all. And I just, that just blows my mind. And so God sent an example. God says, let me show you a better way. You are constantly going to battle with this. Let me show you a better way. Here is who I am. And God slid on our epidermis. God put his skin on and he became real. So we could now see, hear, believe, because we understood who he was, we can now see the direction that he intended that we go. How does God love? Well, I simply look to Jesus. How did Jesus love? And and I I live like that. And therefore, I can go the direction that he intended with how I love. How how does God view death? He's scared of it. Scared of it. Me too. In the garden, sweating drops of blood, thinking about the weight of humanity on his shoulders, he's scared of death. And, And yet, he would be willing to go through that on my behalf. So he's like me. I am a reflection of him. And we could observe all that Jesus did and find the direction that God hoped we would go. To, to, we can see the, the whole picture. And here's the struggle for me. It happened in Jesus' day. There were these religious leaders who, who were designed to kind of communicate what God says is the better way. And here's what they did. They said, you know, we need to make some rules that will help people kind of stay on track towards what is right. And their hope is that you could be right, good. And that's not a bad thing. But they made like 743 laws that if you do all these things and you do it the right way, then you could be right. And the church did the same thing. So the church today, people like me, stand up on a stage and they say, listen, this sin is bad, but this sin is worse. Now we don't actually say that. But we're like, if you do this or this or this... And if you're a person who struggles with whatever that is, you come into this room and now you feel less than. You feel like, I'm not right. I'm not good. I could never be whatever that is. And so you can leave this place feeling disqualified, like, well, if I'm not that, then I must not be able to join the team. I'm not not good enough. So people have often felt like, well, if you can be right, well, then you can be wrong or bad or sinful And that made them feeling disqualified. And that was never God's intent. That wasn't God's intent at all. So we we did this by creating these rules and laws that that we must do that Jesus never said or or wanted. But and here's the deal. Again, the laws weren't bad. 
That wasn't a bad thing. Parents do this all the time. Parents make law, uh, law rules to, to hopefully protect their kids, right? That's like, if you do this, that's going to be bad. So here's what I want you to do. Don't do that. I want to protect you. But parents can tell you this. Rules don't make your kids good. Like, rules can't make your kids good. And no parent has ever said this, like, oh, you didn't obey that rule? Well, you're not my child anymore. Like, You've wanted to say that. Like, you're like, no, seriously, if you do that one more time, you are not in this family, but you can't. You can't actually do that, okay? So don't try. And what it means is this. A lot of times our intentions are for good. Our hope is for good. But the direction that we aim our life is far off from our intentions. And direction, not intention, equals our destination. And all along, God said, I created you with purpose to glorify me to worship me in this temporary housing unit. And this is the direction that I want you to go, to worship me with your whole body. And the rules weren't bad. The rules provided an opportunity for us to see how God wants to protect us, to provide for us, to to send us down a road of a better way. So do you know how our bodies are made right? It's Jesus. It's through Jesus that we have life. I can't be right I can't do enough to be good, but because of Jesus, through him, I actually can be right. You can follow Jesus, you can worship him, but you know what? Your body's still going to die. Your body is is temporary. This is not a, a permanent thing. This is not what God designed for you to ultimately land in worshiping him. This is temporary. Your body can get sick, cancer can rob your body, you can get cut, you can bleed, you can die. And sin, sin can ravage your body, the desires that can pull you far away from God's heart, which leads to death. And yet Daniel talked about last week, this spirit that God gave us, the belief that we have in Jesus leads to life. I know, it all just blows my mind. But James 1.14 says this, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires grow, birth, give birth into sinful actions, and when sin becomes an addiction, when sin becomes a habit, when sin becomes customary or comfortable in our life, it leads to death. And sin, we said this before, is missing the mark. That's what it literally means, to miss the mark. So your destination was not worshipful. You intended to go the right way, but your destination wasn't worship because you sinned. You missed the mark. And our direction, not intention, determines where our body ends up. How many of you have ever made like a New Year's resolution? You're like, all right, this year, I'm gonna do it. Like, I have great intentions of doing, I'm, I'm this time. And maybe you've had a sin that you struggle with for a long time. And you've thought, man, that sin landed you in a place of, of guilt, and you felt less than you felt like, man, I am not right. And you're like, I am never going to be here again. And you had good intentions of never doing that thing that you always seem to do. And yet, the next time, there you are. As desire creeps in, our body, our brain, and it entices us. It leads our direction away from God's heartbeat for us, his desire for us. And our destination ends up death. We have large holes in this tent that God gave us because we're broken we get separated from God. Romans 6, 23, a very famous verse says, for the wage of sin, 
The payment for our sin, the punishment for our sin is death. Something or someone has to die for us to arrive at the destination that God hopes that we would. Matthew 26, 28 says this, For this is my blood which confirms a covenant, a promise, an agreement between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. So there it is, right there. How many of you are, are woozy people when you hear blood? You're like, blood, me, don't mix well, it's not good. Well, buckle up, because here we go. So there you go. When you get cut, when the body is pierced, what happens? That's right. That's right. You bleed. And I've been cut many times, including but not limited to my finger being ripped from my body twice in my lifetime. Both times running to the comfort of mom, mom plunged my finger into a bowl of alcohol. Who does that? Who does that? My mom. Twice. And my mom listens on here so I can say, mom, I, I love you, but that hurt. That, that hurt. And uh, I can't tell you how many bloody knees, elbows from rollerblading, bike wrecks, and, and just being an outright buffoon. I was that guy who, if your friend was like, hey, you should, I would every time. And so, not wise. Anyway, our bodies are fragile, yet durable. They're uh, finely constructed, absolutely amazing, but they're not invincible. And when they get cut, they bleed. And if the cut is severe enough, it leads to death. So I want to quickly take you on some connections that just blow my mind that God uses in his word with blood, covenants and agreements and promises with our body. And it's amazing. So Jeremiah 9.25, this is that verse that changed this whole sermon. So you can blame this right here. Jeremiah 9.25 says this, A time is coming, says the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised in the body, but not in the spirit. All right, so like I said, I do this daily reading. And I come across this verse. So Daniel had just preached about the Spirit of God. And it, to me, was amazing connection. All right? And so here, here it is. It's an Old Testament passage, which is important. A time is coming when I will punish those who are circumcised in the body. Every Jewish person understands what that means. They understand what circumcision is, the blessing that you get from that. And what they didn't understand was, but who is not circumcised in the heart? Something they couldn't fathom. They, the Spirit... The, what is that? And so, listen, circumcision, I love this, so God just continually blows my mind, but circumcision was the cutting of the male part of the body that reproduces life. It was surgery on the part of the body that gives life as a reminder that God keeps his promises. And the promise was, I will make you a mighty nation. What does that mean? They are going to be really good at having kids, like really good at it. And that was the promise. And so what God does is God uses blood and surgery as a reminder of this agreement. That I, I am going to use this cutting procedure that produces blood to lead you to this blessing. And God keeps his promises. So that's the first agreement. And then the Israelites endure a famine on their land. And because of this famine, they have to go up to Egypt where all the food is. And so they live in Egypt for a long time, quite successfully and happily, until dictator after dictator after dictator changes and dies. And once the dictator is looking out over the land, he sees all these Israelites. There's a lot of them because they were really good at having kids. God bless them. And he said, you know what? They could overpower us. They could overtake us. Let's make them our slaves. You know, many hands makes light work type of deal. And God wants to redeem his people. 
God is constantly seeking after you, longing for you. He wants to redeem his people. So to receive freedom, they had to place a swipe of blood over the entry for their doorpost. There was this death angel. It's going to sweep through the land. It's going to consume Egyptians and or Israelites who don't have this swipe of blood over their door. It's going to take the firstborn of all households. So they just had to believe that doing this simple thing, putting blood over my doorpost, is going to save them. Believe that God keeps his promises. So they sacrifice a lamb. And the crucial part, they have to preserve the blood, right? They have to take this blood from this animal And they're going to take it and put it in a special way over the doorposts of their home. And here's what they find, that God keeps his promises. Those who believe and are obedient are freed from the grip of slavery. And eventually they are led to a promised land. One of the first promises that God gives long before this circumcision or before uh, the Israelites are in Egypt, he goes to Abraham and he says, from your descendants, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And he says this, from your line will come the Savior of the world, uh, the Savior, uh, the sacrifice for all mankind. So insert yourself into this story, right? You were born and you have become a slave to your sin. It's likely that some uh, sin has a grip on your heart and your body will battle and fight to try not to indulge that sin, to try not to dive into that. And God is asking you, just trust me, just trust me. Another one of my favorite communicators, Scott Nichol, always says this, don't try to get from anyone or anything what you can only get from God. But we do. When it comes to our bodies, we try to align ourselves with who culture says we should be. We try to align ourselves with what other people say, like this is probably what's best for your life. And we try to aim ourselves in that direction. So we, we try diets and exercise. We try surgery. We try whatever it takes to be more, to be better, to be enough. And those things never fill the gaping hole in our heart, our brain, our emotions can be pulled and tugged, forcing our bodies to come along for the ride. And we try to get from stuff, from people, from this world. And the perception of whom we are is all tied up in that, the direction that our life goes. And we never end up at the destination that we hoped we would. And God never desired for you to leave or to be far away from him. He wants you close. Let me explain. Don't try to get attention from man. Don't try to gain worth from stuff. Don't try to collect more things, more anything from this world. Don't try to get from your clothing, your hobbies, your work. Don't try to get from your money what you can only get from God. Don't try to get from a bottle or a prescription from women or men. Don't try to satisfy the longings of your earthly flesh with the things that God has already promised you if you'll be faithful to him. When you do, the result will be death. The destination will be destruction. The body will end in depravity or the grave, far from God's heart and where he hoped you would be. Ephesians 2.8 says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed, just like the Israelites. When you believe, you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that you do. Salvation is not a reward for being right enough or good enough. It's a gift because you were broken and you needed somebody to make you whole. Jesus sacrificed his life so that we could be saved. He shed his blood, the sign of a covenant, an agreement, a promise between us and God, his redeeming power for the poor direction making us right, or you could say this, making us whole. 
So the whole point and thrust of this whole series comes from this next verse. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says this, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. May your whole spirit and your soul and your body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. He who calls you keeps his promises. God's actions, his sacrifice is what makes us whole, redeemed, restored. God says, if you believe, another word for that is if you have faith in my son, he satisfies your debt. And and God's law, his truth, is what helps direct us towards that better way. Does that make sense? It doesn't save you. Jesus saves you, but it takes both in order to live this life that God hoped that we would live. It takes applying truth and applying things that allow us to live a complete, whole, satisfied life like God desired. So Jeremiah said, a time is coming where circumcision will be in not just an outward sign of my body, but an inward side of what my spirit and my heart are longing to be with God. So here's, here's the thing. The old things in our life have to die. You have to change your heart. And I love this. All throughout the Bible, God allows blood to be the sign of an agreement and a promise from circumcision to blood over the doorpost to Jesus' death and pouring out his blood on the cross for our sins. So as we come to this new agreement, you know what God uses as a sign and a symbol? Water. I know. I know. To wash clean, baptism, and we take our body, and in an act of surrender, we plunge ourselves under water. You know why God doesn't use blood in this new agreement? It's because we accept Christ's blood as our sacrifice. We accept his death as our claim to freedom. We accept his penalty. He takes our punishment. He takes on our sin to atone for us, and he wants us to wash ourselves clean, to be whole. Because we accept him, and in an act of obedience, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, just like the Israelites, you simply have to believe and you'll be made whole. And in the new ceremony, you get this sense of the washing away of these impurities, the washing away of all the stuff that you can't be right enough, your sin, your brokenness. Because the largest competition for our direction is focus. The largest competition for your direction is focus. We have plenty of practical things that we can do as believers to help us reach our full potential. Uh, We can open God's word and apply his truth. We can worship, come here on a regular basis. We can talk with God and be with God. We can set accountability and stay focused. We can look to Jesus for motivation. And when we fall, and you will fall, we can get back up, dust ourselves off, and reset our direction Probably the most practical thing that you could do is to be honest with your sin and watch as the process of stepping into the light when you hide in the dark places of your heart, it steals the direction your steps want to go. And the ultimate hope is this, true sanctification. It's a really fun word. True direction, you could say. That word sanctification, it's a Bible word. It means the process of being holy, or you could say the process of being whole. Hebrews 10.10 says this, For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Do you want to be whole? Do you want to worship God with all that you are? Then you'll likely need to sacrifice your body or the current things that you do with it that are pulling you away from God. 
There is practical, applicable directioning. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Because we have these promises, because God keeps his promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that is defiling our body or our spirit, and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. So many come into church, come into places like this, and they actually want to hear that they're not enough. They actually want to know and understand that I'm not enough. And they hope that somebody like me will stand up here and say, but this is how you can be right. This is how you can leave here and you can be right and you can do this and then you'll be good. But you can't ever be right. You have to have Jesus. He is the only thing. He is the only way to life. The only thing that helps us stay whole. But if you can look to his truth and align your life with what God says is right, true, and best, You can get a direction by which you can worship him with all that you are. So it's both. A lot of times we feel like we're disqualified, like we don't belong. But here's what Matthew 5, 17 says. Don't misunderstand why I have come. This is Jesus talking. I did not come to abolish the old laws. I didn't come to to do away with all that Moses had established. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Jesus came to underline what's important. He came to save us. Maybe you struggle with so many different things that are pulling you far away from God's heart. Today, my hope is this, the Monday morning application, which is simply this. This is what we want to help you do to apply tomorrow what we talked about today. And this is it. The enemy of our direction is focus. So this week, we want you to focus. You move toward what you focus on, right? Hunters in in the room know this. Like, what I focus on is likely where this thing is going to go. And anybody who is sitting in a car hopes that the, the person steering the vehicle is going to focus on the way that the road is going. Because if not, whatever has your focus is where the vehicle's going to go. And whatever has your focus in this life is where your body will point its direction. And direction, not intention, is what arrives us at the destination that God's hopes. Our hope is this. The enemy of direction is our focus. So this week we're going to be real with where we have not aimed well. Where we have have missed the mark, what's separating us from God, and we're going to focus in on that with the hope of changing our direction. I'm going to look at the animal that's killing my joy, it's stealing my peace, causing my destination to shift, and I'm going to focus hard, change my directioning, and watch as I move toward the destination that God desires that I would go. Dearly Father, Lord, you are a great and awesome God. And so I uh, stand here amazed in my weakness, in my sin, and in my separation from you. I realize that I could never be enough. But because of your son, Jesus, who poured out his blood as a ransom for my life, because of his willingness to satisfy my debt to sin, I get to have life through him. It's not just enough to live knowing that I'm redeemed and I'm restored and that I'll have this life one day. God says, I hope that you can live towards my truth, which allows you to worship me with all that you are. And when we land there, Lord, 
you say we can be good, we can be whole. So Lord, that's my hope. As we walk out of this room, that we could confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that you are who you say you are. That you keep your promises. Your promises are good for me. My, your promises that you will redeem me, restore me, that you have made me whole. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your son. And it's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.